The Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 9, Change of Abode As soon as we were up and had breakfasted, the next morning I assembled all the members of my family together to take with them a solemn farewell of this our first place of reception from the awful disaster of the shipwreck. I confess that for my own part I could not leave it without re regret. It was a place of greater safety than we were likely again to meet with. It was also nearer to the vessel. I thought it right to represent strongly to my sons the danger of exposing themselves as they had done the evening before along the river. We are now going, continued I, to inhabit an unknown spot which is not so well protected by nature as that we are leaving. We are unacquainted both with the soil and its inhabitants, whether human creatures or beasts. Much caution is therefore necessary, and take care not to remain separate from each other. Having unburdened my mind of this necessary charge, we prepared for setting out. I directed my sons to assemble our whole flock of animals and to leave the ass and the cow to me, that I might load them with the sacks as before concerted. I had filled these and made a slit long ways in the middle of each, and to each side of the slits I tied several long pieces of cord which crossing each other and being again brought round and fastened served to hold the sacks firmly on the back of the animal. We next began to put together all the things we should stand most in need of for the two or three first days in our new abode, working implements, kitchen utensils, the captain's service of plate, and a small provision of butter. I put these articles in the two, into the two ends of each sack, taking care that the sides should be equally heavy, and then fastened them on. I afterwards added our hammocks to complete the load, and we were about to begin to march when my wife stopped me. We must not, said she, leave our fowls behind for fear they should become the prey of the jackals. We must contrive a place for them among the luggage, and also one for our little Francis, who cannot walk so far, and would interrupt our speed. There is also my bag, which I recommend to your particular care, said she, smiling, for who can tell what may help may yet pop out of it for your good pleasure. I now placed the child on the ass's back, fixing the bag in such a way as to support him, and I tied them together with so many cords that the animal might even have galloped without danger of his falling off. In the meanwhile, the other boys had been running after the cocks and hens and the pigeons, but had not succeeded in catching one of them, so they returned empty-handed and in ill humor. Little blockheads, said their mother, see how you have heated yourselves in running after these un- tractable creatures. I could have put you in a way to catch them in a moment. Come with me and see. She now stepped into the tent and brought out two handfuls of peas and oats, and by pronouncing a few words of invitation in the accustomed tone, the birds flocked around her. She then walked slowly before them, dropping the grain all the way till they had followed her into the tent. When she saw them all inside and busily employed in picking up the grain, she shut the entrance and caught one after the other without difficulty. 
The boys looked at each other half ashamed, though much amused with the adventure. The fowls were then tied by the feet and wings, put into a basket covered with a net, and placed in triumph on the top of our luggage. We packed and placed in the tent everything we were to leave, and for greater security, fastened down the ends of the sailcloth at the entrance by driving stakes through them into the ground. We ranged a number of vessels, both full and empty, round the tent to serve as a rampart, and thus we confided to the protection of heaven our remaining treasures. At length we set ourselves in motion, each of us, great and small, carried a gun upon his shoulder and a game bag at his back. My wife led the way with her, her eldest son, the cow and the ass, immediately behind them. The goat, conducted by Jack, came next. The little monkey was seated on the back of his nurse and made a thousand grimaces. After the goats came Ernest, conducting the sheep, while I, in my capacity of general superintendent, followed behind and brought up the rear. The dogs, for the most part, pranced backwards and forwards like a jutants up to a troop of soldiers. Our march was slow, and there was something solemn and patriarchal in the spectacle we exhibited. I fancied we must resemble our forefathers journeying in the deserts, accompanied by their families and their possessions. Now then, Fritz, cried I, you have the specimen you wished for of the patriarchal mode of life. What do you think of it? I like it much, father, replied he. I never read the Bible without wishing I had lived in those good times. And I too, said Ernest, I am quite delighted with it. I cannot help fancying myself not marry a patriarch, but a Tartar or an Arab, and that we are about to discover I know not how many new and extraordinary things. Is it not true, father, that the Tartars and the Arabs pass their lives in journeying from one place to another? and carrying all they have about them? It is certainly for the most part true, replied I, and they are denominated wandering tribes. But they generally perform their journeys attended by horses and camels, by means of which they can proceed a little faster than if, like us, they are, had only an ass and a cow. For my part, I should not be sorry if I were quite sure that the pilgrimage we are now making would be our last. And I too am of your way of thinking, cried my wife, and I hope that in our new abode we shall be so well satisfied with the shade of such luxuriant trees that we shall not be inclined to further rambles. We had now advanced halfway across our bridge when the sow for the first time took the fancy of joining us. At the moment of our departure she had shown herself so restive and indocile that we were compelled to leave her behind us, but seeing that we had all left the place, she had set out voluntarily to overtake us, taking care, however, to apprise us by her continued grunting that she disapproved of our migration. On the other side of the river we experienced an inconvenience wholly unexpected. The tempting aspect of the grass which grew here in profusion drew off our animals who strayed from us to feed upon it, so that without the dogs we should not have been able to bring them back to the line of our procession. The active creatures were of great use to us on this occasion, and when everything was restored to proper order we were able to continue our journey. For fear, however, of a similar occurrence, I directed our march to the left, along the seaside, where the produce of the soil was not of a quality to attract them. 
but scarcely had we advanced a few steps on the sands when our two dogs, which had strayed behind among the grass, set up a sort of howl as if engaged in an encounter with some formidable animal. Fritz in an instant raised his gun to his cheek and was ready to fire. Ernest, always somewhat timid, drew back to his mother's side. Jack ran bravely after Fritz with his gun upon his shoulder, while I, fearing the dogs might be attacked by some dangerous wild beast, prepared myself to advance to their assistance. But youth is always full of ardor, and in spite of my exhortations to proceed with caution, the boys, eager for the event, made it but three jumps to the place from which the noise proceeded. In an instant, Jack had turned to me, meet me, clapping his hands and calling out, Come quickly, father, come quickly. Here is a monstrous porcupine. I soon reached the spot and perceived that it was really as they said. Baiting a little exaggeration, the dogs were running to and fro with bloody noses about the animal. And when they approached too near him, he made a frightful noise and darted his quills so suddenly at them that a great number had penetrated the skins of the valiant creatures and remained sticking in them, and it was no doubt the pain they occasioned which made them howl so violently. While we were looking on, Jack determined on an attack which succeeded well. He took one of the pistols which he carried in his belt and aimed it so exactly at the head of the porcupine that he fell dead the instant he fared, and before we had a notion of what he was about, this success raised Jack to the height of joy and vanity, while Fritz, on the other hand, felt a sensation of jealousy almost to shedding tears. "'Is it right, Jack,' said he, "'that such a little boy as you should venture to fare off a pistol in this manner?' How easily might you have wounded my father or me, or one of the dogs, by so rash an action? Oh, yes, to be sure, and what do you suppose hindered me from seeing that you were all behind me? Do you think I fared without taking care of that? Do you take me for an idiot? The porcupine could tell you about that, brother Fritz, if he could but speak. My first fare popped dead as a herring. This is something like brother Fritz, and you would be glad enough to have had such a chance yourself. Fritz only replied by motion of his head. He was out of humor because his younger brother had deprived him of the honor of the day, and he sought a subject of complaint against him, as the wolf did with the poor little lamb. Come, come, boys, said I. Let me hear no envious speeches and no reproaches. Luck for one today, for another tomorrow, but all for the common good. Jack was perhaps a little imprudent, but you must allow that he showed both skill and courage. Let us not therefore tarnish the glory of his exploit. We now all got round the extraordinary animal, on whom nature has bestowed a strong defense by arming his body all over with long spears. The boys were at a loss what means to use for carrying away his carcass. They thought of dragging it along the ground, but as often as they attempted to take hold, there was nothing but squalling and running to show the marks made by his quills on their hands. We must leave him behind, said they, but it is a great pity. While the boys were talking, my wife and I had hastened to relieve the dogs by drawing out the quills and examining their wounds. Fritz had run on before with his gun, hoping he should meet with some animal of prey. What he most desired was to find one or two of those large bustards, which his mother had described to him. We followed him at our leisure, taking care not to expose our healthy but unnecessary fatigue, till at last, without further accident, our venture, we arrived at the place of the giant trees. 
Such indeed we found them, and our astonishment exceeded all description. What trees, what a height, what trunks! I never heard of anything so prodigious, exclaimed one and all. Nothing can be more rational than your admiration, answered I, measuring them with my eyes as I spoke. I must confess I had not myself formed an idea of the reality. To you be all the honor, my dear wife, for the discovery of this agreeable abode in which we shall enjoy so many comforts and advantages. The great point we have to gain is the fixing a tent large enough to receive us all in one of these trees, by which means we shall be perfectly secure from the invasion of wild ant beasts. I defy even one of the bears who are so famous for mounting trees to climb up by trunks so immense and so destitute of branches. We began now to release our animals from their burdens, having first thrown our own on the grass. We next used the precaution of tying their two forelegs together with a cord, that they might not go far away or lose themselves. We restored the fowls to liberty, and then seating ourselves upon the grass, we held a family council on the subject of our future establishment. I was myself somewhat uneasy on the question of our safety during the ensuing night, for I was ignorant of the nature of the extensive country I beheld around me, and what chance there might be of our being attacked by different kinds of wild beasts. I accordingly observed to my wife that I would make an endeavor for us all to sleep in the tree that very night. While I was deliberating with her on the subject, Fritz, who longed to take his revenge for the porcupine adventure, had stolen away to a short distance, and we heard the report of a gun. This would have alarmed me if at the same moment we had not recognized Fritz's voice crying, I touched him, I touched him, and in a moment we saw him running towards us, holding a dead animal of uncommon beauty by the paws. Father, father, look, here is a superb tiger cat, he said he, proudly raising it in the air to show it to the best advantage. Bravo, bravo, cried I, bravo Nimrod, the undaunted. Your exploit will call forth the gratitude of our cocks, hens, and pigeons, for you have rendered them what they cannot fail to think an important service. If you had not killed this animal, he would no doubt have demolished in one night our whole stock of poultry. I charge you, look about in every direction, and try to destroy as many of the species as fall in your way, for we cannot have more dangerous intruders. Ernest, I wish, father, you would be so good as to tell me why God created wild beasts, since man seems to be appointed to destroy them. Father, this indeed is a question I cannot answer, and we must be contented with taking care to arm ourselves against them. Neither can I explain to you why many other things which to us appear to have only injurious qualities have been created. With respect to beasts of prey, I am inclined to believe that one of the ends of providence in giving them existence is their embellishing and varying the works of the creation, of maintaining a necessary equilibrium among creatures endowed with life, and lastly to furnish man who comes naked into the world with materials for protecting himself from the cold by the use of their skins which becomes the means of exchange and commerce between different nations. We may also add that the care of protecting himself from the attacks of ferocious animals invigorates the physical and moral powers of man, supports his activity, and renders him inventive and courageous. 
The ancient Germans, for example, were rendered robust and valiant warriors through their habitual exercises in the field which enabled them, at a time of need, but let us return to the animal Fritz has killed. Tell me all the particulars of your adventure. How did you kill him? Fritz. With my pistol, father, as Jack killed the porcupine. Father. Was he on his, this tree just by us? Fritz. Yes, father. I have been observing that something moved among the branches. I went softly as near as I could, and on seeing him, I knew him for a tiger cat. I fared when he felt my feet, wounded and furious. Then I fared a second time and killed him father you were very fortunate for he might easily have devoured you you should always take care in aiming at animals of this kind to be at a greater distance fritz why so father i might have missed him if i had been further off i on the contrary tried to be as near him as possible and fared close to his ears father this was acting in the same way as your brother jack whom you so much derided for his want of care and may serve you as a lesson not to blame in your brothers what you would yourself be perhaps obliged to do in the same situation. Also not to interrupt their joy with unkind reflections, but rather to partake with them the pleasure of their success. Fritz. Well, father, all I now ask of Jack is that he will be so good as not to spoil the beautiful skin of this animal as he did that of the jackal. Only observe what beautiful figures it is marked with, and the fine effect of the black and yellow spots. The most richly manufactured stuff could not exceed in it in magnificence. What is the exact name of the animal? Father, you may, be for, may for the present give it the name of the tiger cat. I do not, however, think that it is the animal which is so dominated at the Cape of Good Hope. I rather think it is the ma ma Margay. A native of, of America, an animal of extremely vicious dispositions and singular voraciousness. He attacks all the birds of the forest, and neither a man, a sheep, or goat that should fall in his way could escape his rapacity. In the name of humanity, therefore, we ought to be thankful to you for having destroyed him. Fritz, all the recompense I ask, father, is that you will let me keep the skin, and I wish you would tell me what use I can make of it. Father, one idea occurs to me. Skin the animal carefully, so as not to injure it, particularly the parts which cover the forelegs and the tail. You may then make yourself a belt with it, like your brother Jack's. The odd pieces will serve to make some cases to contain our utensils for the table, such as knives, forks, spoons. Go then, boy, and put away its bloody head, and we will see how to set about preparing the skin. The boys left me no moment of repose till I had shown them how to take off the skins of the animals without tearing them. In the meantime, Ernest looked about for a flat stone as a sort of foundation for a fireplace, and little Francis collected some pieces of dry wood for his mother to light a fire. Ernest was not long in finding what he wanted, and then he ran to join us and give us his assistance, or rather to reason right or wrong on the subject of skinning animals, and then on that of trees, making various comments and inquiries respecting the real name of those we intended to inhabit. It is my opinion, said he, that they are really and simply enormously large hazel trees. See if the leaf is not exactly the same form. But that is no proof, interrupted I, for many trees bear leaves of the same shape, but nevertheless are of different kinds. Ernest, I thought, father, that the mango tree only grew on the seashore and in marshy soils. 
father, you were not mistaken. It is the black mango tree which loves the water. But there is besides the red mango, which bears its fruit in bunches, something like our currant bushes. This kind of the mango tree is found at a considerable distance from the sea, and its wood is used for dyeing red. There is a third sort, which is called the mountain mango, or yellow wood, and this is the kind whose root produces the beautiful arches you now see around us. Presently, little Francis came running with his mouth crammed full of something and called out, Mama, Mama, I have found a nice fruit to eat, and I have brought you home some of it. Little glutton, replied his mother, quite alarmed, what have you got there? For heaven's sake, do not swallow, in this imprudent manner, the first thing that falls in your way, for by this means you may be poisoned, and then you would die. She made him open his mouth, and took out with her finger what he was eating, with so keen a relish, with some difficulty she drew out the remains of a fig. A fig! exclaimed I. Where did you get this fig? Francis, I got it among the grass, Papa, and there are a great many more. I thought it must be good to eat, for the fowls and the pigeons and even the pig came to the place and eat them in large quantities. Father, you see then, my dear, said I to my wife, there are beautiful trees, or fig trees, at least the kind which are thus named at the Antilles. I took this occasion to give the boys another lesson on the necessity of being cautious, and never to venture on tasting anything they met with till they had seen it eaten by birds and monkeys. At the word monkeys, they all ran to visit the little orphan, whom they found seated on the roots of a tree, and examining with the oddest grimaces the half-skinned tiger-cat, which lay near him. Francis offered him a fig, which he first turned round and round, then smelled it, and concluded by eating it voraciously. "'Bravo, bravo!' Mr. Monkey exclaimed, the boys clapping their hands. "'So then these figs are good to eat. "'Thank you, Mr. Monkey, for after your wise decision, "'we shall make a charming feast on them.' "'In the meanwhile, my wife had been busy in making a fare, "'putting on the pot and preparing for our dinner. "'The tiger-cat was bestowed upon the dogs, "'who waited impatiently to receive it. "'While our dinner was dressing, I employed my time "'making some packing-needles.' with some of the quills of the porcupine, which the boys had contrived to draw from his skin and bring home. I put the point of a large nail into the fire till it was red hot, then taking hold of it with some wet linen in my hand, by way of guide, I with the great ease per perforated the thick ends of the quills with it. I had soon the pleasure of presenting my wife with a large packet of long, stout needles, which were the more valuable in her estimation as she had formed the intention of contriving some better harness for our animals, and had been perplexed how to set about them without some larger needles. I, however, recommended to her to be frugal in the use of her pack thread, for which I should soon have so urgent a need, in constructing a ladder for ascending the tree we intended to inhabit. I had singled out the highest fig tree, and while we were waiting for dinner, I made the boys try how high they could throw a stick or stone into it. I also tried myself, but the lowest branches were so far from the ground that none of us could touch them. I perceived, therefore, that we should want some new inventions for fastening the ends of my ladder to them. I allowed a short pause to my imagination, during which I assisted for Jack and Fritz in carrying the skin of the tiger-cat to a near rivulet where we can find it under water with some large stones. After this we returned and dined heartily on some slices of ham and bread and cheese under the shade of our favorite trees. Mm -hmm.